the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls so that we can answer any Bible questions that you have, any life questions that you have as it relates to what the Bible says about your circumstance. We'll do the best we can to answer any and every question. It's good to be back with you live. Uh, I traveled on Friday and Saturday. I was doing a conference in... Uh, McAllen, Texas. Don't get to go to McAllen very often. It was really a blast. Uh, so it's good to be back live on the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free from outside the area at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Um, because it's Monday here at Calvary Chapel, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. Child care, of course, is provided. Uh, the ladies tonight are going to be it's going to be our pastor's wives sort of sharing. They just got back from the pastor's wives retreat last week, and, and they're going to take the next two Mondays uh, tonight and next week uh, sort of just to reflect what the Lord's speaking to their heart. We like to share uh, with the people who are here what's going on, and so that's what they're going to do tonight, and you will be blessed. Okay, let's go right to questions while we wait for your phone calls. Here is a question from... Oh, that's not the question. Here, let me find the question. It shouldn't be this hard. It's a Monday. Uh, Pastor Ron, greetings to you, brother. Thank you. This is from AA. Uh, he says, Revelation 12, 13, and 17 tell us about a creature with seven heads, ten horns. Here's my question. Is the unholy trinity being represented here? The first reference is to Satan. Is the second reference to the Antichrist? And third, the false prophet. If so, what's the significance of always using seven heads and ten horns? I'm reading Revelation for the third time this year, and each time it gets more mysterious and confusing than before. I know I won't have to worry about it since we Christians will be long gone, but you tell us to take in the whole counsel of God. Thanks for listening to that, AA. And by the way, I, I tell our church here that Revelation uh, and the book of Acts is a book that they are books that they ought to read at least twice every year. Uh, that's how important it is. And the fact that we're not going to be here uh, gives us the opportunity to be prepared um, or to prepare others for uh, when they might still be here. So uh, it's important. Uh, the other thing that I want to tell you is that, that this reference is not to the, the unholy trinity. Um, the reference is there throughout the book of Revelation, and you're right, um, uh, but, but just not in this symbolism. And the symbolism uh, in these chapters is consistent 
uh, throughout the book. That's why it ought to be getting easier for you to understand rather than more confusing. Now here is the symbolism. Um, we know, and I'm going to go to verse seven, chapter 17, because chapter 17 sort of describes it all. Uh, the seven heads, this is verse 9 of chapter uh, 17, uh, are seven hills on which the women sit. So that's what you need to, to remember. These are seven hills. Now, uh, it says just before that, this calls for a mind with wisdom. And the reason we need the wisdom is because this helps us sort out sort of the mystery of, of, of all of the symbols. Um, we know that the, from verse 18 in this chapter, that the city where the woman sits is a city that existed in John's day. There's a, actually a Greek verb tense, and it's present tense, and it's for reigns and rules. So this was a, a city that was existing in the day that John wrote this. And that would mean that the city where this prostitute, and the prostitute here is symbolic, it refers to the religious system, um, where she reigns is described here by the angel. Now, it doesn't matter whether you lived in John Samarars, there can be no doubt about the location of the city. Um, Rome has for generations been known as the city of seven hills. Uh, in John's time, Rome was drinking the blood of the saints Christians, and, and she's been doing so ever since. And also that John's vision uses scarlet as the color of the beast, and the harlot is no surprise. Not only is this consistent with all Old Testament imagery, uh, people living in the Roman Empire then would have also known that scarlet was Rome's color and was a color that also signified wealth. Um, now, it's important to note that Rome uh, was the place where the world married the church for the very first time. I told you this before, it was 313 A.D. when the Catholic Church in Rome became the official religion of the world as Constantine made his infamous declaration of faith. So the seven heads are the seven hills um, leading to um, the conclusion that we're talking about Rome. Uh, again, we're told in the text what they are. Um, but they're also, verse 10 says in Romans, or Revelation chapter 17, that they're also seven kings. This is another part of the mystery why we need wisdom. The hills are literal and they're physical, but they're also symbolic. Symbolic, And the only way eh, that that can, can be true is in prophecy. Um, there are some scholars who conclude that the seven hills, uh, because it says mountains, using King James, represent not literal mountains, but kings, um, because mountains are sometimes used metaphorically. Uh, but that cannot be true, because verse 9 and 10 in chapter 17 says that they're both of these things. So it's a physical location, and there's seven kings. Now, um, there's a prophecy there about five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. Now, that's a reference to the uh, kingdoms that, that had come and gone, the world empires, uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Um, the eighth king that's coming, uh, that's the reference to the Antichrist. So uh, there's more on him in just a little bit. Now, relative to the ten horns, that's verse 12 of Romans. I'm sorry, I keep saying Romans because I've been teaching Romans on Sundays. Uh, Revelation chapter 17. The ten horns are the ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour, and it's not a literal hour, it means uh, a very, very short time, they will receive authority as kings along with the beast, along with the Antichrist. Now, the seventh kingdom is described in this verse. So these are the ten horns. Um, these kings, a, a, unlike the kingdoms that we discussed uh, in, in uh, earlier, are not the kings who rule successively. These are kings that rule simultaneously. These are the kings that will be in authority in what is a revived Roman Empire uh, during the Great Tribulation. So that's all this matter means. It's not something that's meant to be confusing, uh, but the symbolism is very consistent so um, we can share others with others that this is what's going to happen. Uh, one other comment on, it, on Revelation AA and to anybody else who's interested. Um, part of our job as Christians is to prepare, to, to share with people what's going to happen. You know, prophecy telling the future uh, is is an important 
uh, fact of, of our Bibles. So now we can, because we know the book of Revelation, even though we're not going to be here, uh, we can prepare others. You know, uh, Paula used to talk to our son Ronnie about the book of Revelation. Ronnie would get really interested because he likes that kind of stuff. This was before he was saved. But it was that curiosity which sort of led him down the path to him receiving Jesus Christ. So it's important that we tell people these things. It's important that we prepare them in case they don't believe. It's even more important that they can see that we believe. Now, why is it important? Because we can communicate to them that we're not going to be here. So my only interest is you. And I've told a lot of people eh, over the years what to expect and warn them that if they give in, taking the mark of the beast, if they sell out Jesus, then they're lost for eternity. Sometimes it shakes them up a little bit, makes them start thinking seriously. Other times it does not. So I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox that came in from Richard. The book of Revelation tells us of future things to come, but are the current things that are happening in the world today those which were foretold in the book of Matthew and many others? And being that things must happen as planned, is there anything that we as Christians can do as we await the return of Christ our Lord other than pray and be observant and avoid those pitfalls? I know that we should be a light into the world, but it seems many are wearing darker and darker sunglasses because of the light they're being shown. Uh, Richard, I love the phraseology in that last sentence. Uh, We are to be a light, and and we're to be a light regardless of whether somebody is wearing really, really dark sunglasses or not. You know, in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, uh, we're talking about the responsibility of scattering seed, and the seed, of course, is the Word of God. Um, in three of the four soils, which are representative of human hearts, in three of the four soils, um, there's no real fruit produced. Um, we're not to worry about the result. That's very important. We share because we're told by God to do so. But we're not supposed to worry about the result because salvation is from God. It's a gift from God, but it is also by the power of God. And God works through his word. He works through our testimonies. But we tell people, regardless of the dark um, sunglasses, to use your term that people are wearing, we tell them anyway because the God that we serve is powerful enough to break through any darkness. And Richard, I have seen so many people who seem to be beyond salvation. In fact, there was a time when Paula believed that I was beyond salvation. And, And God never stops knocking on the door of their hearts. Now, regarding the book of Revelation... And just a pet peeve, people say revelations, it is not. It is a revelation, singular, because the book of Revelation is the complete revelation of Jesus Christ in all of his glory, in all of his power. And yes, it tells the future things to come, but those are not the things that are foretold in the book of Matthew, uh, except after the rapture of the church. Um, because the, the, after the rapture of the church, then the, the, the signs and wonders leading to the Great Tribulation or, or signs that they're in the Great Tribulation uh, will be let loose on the earth. Uh, the book of Joel prophesies uh, those things with a lot of detail. Um, but Jesus also talks about those things in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. So um, those are the things that aren't happening now, but those are the things that were going that are going to happen after the rapture of the church happens. So once we're out of here, seven years remains on the earth. Israel, the nation of Israel, will sign a covenant of peace with the man that we know as the Antichrist. He won't identify himself as the Antichrist. And once that covenant is signed, then there's seven years before Jesus returns and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. And, of course, that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus gave it on the Olivet, the the Mount of Olivet. But he also spoke about the things that were going to happen in the future uh, on the Mount of Olives when he returns. So there's really nothing that we can do except do what we've been told to do from the beginning. We're to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're to tell the whole world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, there's an opportunity. If you ask God, Richard, 
for some spiritual insight, some discernment. He will lead you in restaurants, in grocery stores, at gyms, at wherever you go. You go change the oil in your car. There will always be somebody there who needs to hear. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm available. So you give me the opening. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be occupying, Jesus said, until he returns. The way we occupy is to declare the good news, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people in this world who frankly don't want to know him, um, but that doesn't limit our responsibility to tell them. When Paul writes to Philemon in the precious little letter in the sixth verse of that one chapter, he says, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Richard, that's what we do. There's nothing else that we can do. We love people. We walk with Jesus. We rightly represent the Lord. We walk in the light because Jesus is light. And then we share that light with anybody and everybody that we have the opportunity to share it with. That's all God has asked us to do, Richard. And when you do that, and when we're raptured, Jesus will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Richard, for the question and two revelation questions from the very beginning. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is a question um, from Anonymous from our mobile app. Uh, I had this question a long time. This is the second one in two weeks. Uh, Pastor Ron, please speak on how to get deliverance from soul ties. Thank you, Anonymous. I'll say what I told the other questioner. There is no such thing as soul ties. And if you're in a church that's teaching soul ties, you're in a bad church, you need to leave. Period. There's no such thing. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So there are no soul ties. So don't worry about them. When Jesus died on the cross, when he said, it is finished, Anonymous, you were delivered from everything in your past. You were delivered once and for all. And when you get churches that are teaching soul ties and the need for deliverance, uh, they, they often teach that Christians can be demon-possessed and we've got to be delivered from demons. And it's just all horrible, horrible, horrible doctrine. It's false doctrine. And if that's what your church is teaching, Anonymous, you need to find another church. Please, please, please. Um, I don't speak a lot about people leaving their churches because I, uh, it's not my business. But when people are in churches that are teaching harmful doctrine, false doctrine, they're doing a lot of damage. So you need to be delivered, not from soul ties. You need to be delivered from what you're being taught. So I hope Anonymous that helps a little bit. I hope it encourages you. Don't be afraid to say, wow, I was tricked. I was, I was wrong. I was led to believe something that isn't true. And then just walk with Jesus and you'll find out just how delivered you already are. 340-9585. Jonathan wants to know, grace is never ending. So is it possible that people will get a second chance to believe in Jesus after they die? Uh, Jonathan, you're, you're right in one sense. Grace is never ending, but, but we do. When we die, Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. So there is no second chance after we die. Now, obviously, in this world, we get lots and lots and lots of second chances. But after we die, that's the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and that's the only unforgivable sin if we die rejecting Jesus Christ we will be lost forever so don't let somebody convince you that because grace is infinite that people are going to get a second chance you know uh, Jonathan I've had people uh, say to me that I'd follow Jesus but, but I want to have fun here and, and I'm convinced Jesus is going to give us a second chance uh, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell um, you have a chance every day to give your heart to Jesus. Why would God, when you rejected him unto death, why would God give you another chance when the standard is die once, face judgment? 
So, Jonathan, no, there isn't any chance at all that people can get a second chance to believe in Jesus. By the way, there's no purgatory. That is another false and a harmfully false doctrine. There's no holding place. When we die, we go be directly with the Lord, or we, or we go directly, according to Luke chapter 16, to a place of torment. And we've got to decide once and for all, do we believe somebody's opining, or do we believe what the Bible clearly says over and over and over? No second chances. Jonathan, um, I'm going to give you a second chance now. Believe Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. Believe based on the sheer evidence, the overwhelming evidence that Jesus lived, he died, and he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead just as he said he would on the third day. And because people saw him, because they talked with him, because he taught his disciples for 40 days, because more than 400 people, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, more than 500 people at one time saw him ascend into the heavens, I mean, the evidence is so overwhelming. The way to take advantage of second chance is say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God and God the Son. Forgive me of my sins. Let Jesus come into your heart and he'll give you new life. So there's your second chance, Jonathan. If you won't take advantage of it now, you wouldn't take advantage of it even if there were a second chance to believe. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Damon wants to know another question I haven't had for a long time. Pastor Ron, is once saved, always saved, right? Um, Damon, I am not a fan, really, of once saved, always saved as a cliche. Uh, if you're asking about eternal security, here's what the Bible teaches us. If you were ever really saved, you are and always will be saved. And Damon, the reason that's true is because Jesus is the one who holds us. He said, his father has us in his hands and no one can snatch us out. He, he says, I have you in my hands, no one can snatch you from my hands. Ephesians chapter 1 says that he, he proves that we're his by giving us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That guarantee is pretty good if that guarantee comes from God himself. I could promise you heaven, but I couldn't perform on my promise. But God can. So here's what we've got to understand. If you're ever really saved, you you are and always will be. Now here's the problem we have, Damon, in our church culture. We see a lot of people make false professions of faith. We see people in a really desperate time in their lives. They have an emotional experience. They come forward, perhaps even answering an invitation. They say the sinner's prayer, whatever the sinner's prayer is. And they walk out thinking they're saved. Some of them, according to Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the sower, get really excited and it appears like there's a lot of fruit that is produced right away. But it doesn't last because the profession of faith wasn't genuine. And we see these people who say they're Christians, they, they answered an invitation, they produced fruit, they went to church for a time, but then they fall away. And we're mistakenly under the impression that, well, because they were saved, they're saved. They said they were, so they are. But saying you're a Christian doesn't make you one. Being with Jesus, being obedient to Jesus, loving Jesus, that's what makes you a Christian. And Damon, I get frustrated when people say, well, I have been in church my whole life. Church doesn't save you. Church is a place for saved people to go and be used by God and be equipped by God. But coming to church, being raised in a Christian home, none of that, none of it saves you. Jesus is who saves. And here's what I want you to understand very clearly, Damon. If you've met Jesus, your life changes. If you're with Jesus, Jesus said, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. No one who is abiding in Jesus has any questions about his or her salvation. But here's what we need to understand. 
It's not the outward things that we do that save us. It's not where we were born. It's not even being baptized that saves. It's having an encounter with the living God whose name is Jesus Christ. And when you meet him, you really, really meet him. You come to him on his terms. We're changed. As humans, we can make changes in our life. We can improve things a little bit, but just not for very long. But when you meet Jesus, we're changed forever. I'll go one step farther, Damon. Jesus wants you to know beyond any question that you're his. He wants you to revel. He wants you to have great peace and take comfort in your salvation. So how do you do it? You just spend time with him. Spend time knowing about him in your Bible. Spend time with other Christians serving him. And your life will change so radically. Instead of walking around wondering, is one saved always saved right? You'll walk around saying, I know I'm saved. I tell our church all the time, I know beyond any doubt that I'm a Christian, I'm going to be in heaven forever. I'm pretty sure about Paula. But between the rest of the people, it's between them and God. And if they don't know they're saved, there's always a problem. So Damon, walk with Jesus and everything will be all right. 340-9585. We've got 30 minutes left in this program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back on the other side of the break in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Michael on line one. Michael, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Are you still with us, Michael? Uh, Mike, uh, Pastor Ron, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, Michael. Thanks. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. And uh, uh, I've been listening for a couple of weeks now, but uh, first-time caller, so I appreciate you taking my question. And I just wanted to say off the bat that I recently asked uh, Jesus into my heart. And, uh, oh. and I, you know, since I listen, I, I kind of taken you up on challenges that other people say of reading the Bible from beginning to end. And I had a question because there's sometimes I read... And I just have, and this might be a silly question, but, you know, in Matthew 22, I think it, it says something about rabbi. And it says, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master. You know, it just, it might be a silly question, but when you hear nowadays when somebody introduces somebody or like, this is my rabbi, is that something that is, you know, since it's New Testament, is that something that sh- should be going on? Was that, a, was that a directive from Jesus or something that's saying that nobody should be called rabbis nowadays? And then my second question is, um, I am married to uh, Jehovah's Witness, and um, I had a question because one of the things, and forgive me, I'm not asking to bash anybody or anything like that, but I'm just curious because one of the one things that we disagree on is about birthdays, and I asked my wife, why is it that they don't celebrate birthdays? And the reason that they give, the only one they give is because they say that John the Baptist was killed on the said person's birthday, so that's the reason. But to me, is it a good point of view to speak from Matthew 11 where it says that, you know, even though, you know, Matthew was a great one, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, meaning that why do they hold so much stock in John the Baptist? Isn't he kind of not on the same level as everybody else, but, you know, whoever's last is first and first is last, right? So I just wanted to know yes. that maybe that is not a good way to approach that or a good way to speak from. So uh, I thank you for your time, and I'll just take the answers off the air. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it very much. Two things. Let me congratulate you on becoming a Christian and welcome you into the family of God, and also for opening your Bible and beginning to read it as the Holy Spirit now lives in you. Uh, he'll start 
shedding light on on these passages of scripture i'm going to take your second question first just because it's important and uh, again because you're a brand new believer i want you to um to 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 understand my heart as i'm saying this uh jehovah's witnesses are not christians um pray for your wife um um, it's a terrible bondage to be under. Uh, their Jesus is not the, the Jesus who is the creator God. Uh, their Jesus is a created being. In fact, uh, their Jesus is Michael, the archangel. Uh, they're one and the same. And, and that means they don't have a Jesus that's capable of, of, of forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins. The Bible is very, very clear. And, and that means Jehovah's Witnesses don't know. I know they work really hard. They knock on doors. They try to keep all the rules. I understand all of that. But somebody who believes in Jehovah's Witnesses God isn't a Christian. Jehovah's Witnesses um, is a cult. And uh, God has chosen you, Michael, to be a light to your wife. He's chosen you to be a light. And, and, uh, and frankly, and I say this uh, with great hope, because I, I'm confident that God's going to do a great work through you, but you don't have much in common when it comes to understanding the Bible. The, the Jehovah's Witness would say, well, unless the Watchtower tells us what it means, we can't understand it. Uh, and it really is a process. Of, sometimes it, it lasts a lifetime of brainwashing. So your wife needs to be born again. She needs to experience what you experience, Michael. So here's the best way to do it is you be so full of Jesus in your home. You be so full of joy. You make her feel like the most beautiful, the most precious, the most loved woman on the face of the earth. And she'll see the real Jesus in action. And I promise you that the Holy Spirit will use you to win her heart to the real Jesus. The most important thing now is that that you and your wife are in heaven together with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And there's no way that anybody gets to heaven except through the real Jesus Christ. So uh, I hope that doesn't offend you as a new believer, but it's very important to tell you the truth. Now, relative to birthdays, they don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate birthdays. They, they, they just feel like that's uh, uh, things with pagan origins uh, from a very legalistic point of view has nothing to do with John the Baptist and, 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 and nobody knows that he was killed on his birthday. That That's nonsense. There's no reference for that. Um, so uh, they, they, they just don't celebrate pagan things. Um, uh, blood transfusions and, and things. They, they don't do things just because that's what the Watchtower um, C.T. Russell told them uh, was his message from God and, and that's been passed down through the generations. Uh, it's just a false religion. So here's what you do. You bring joy back into your house. I know I sound like a one-string guitar here, but you bring joy back into your house because there's no joy in the life or in the heart of a Jehovah's Witness. So you let Jesus shine. You let Jesus shine and we'll be praying. Uh, the first question, uh, Rabbi or Father, some translations say, um, um, remember the Jewish context of Jesus' ministry. That, that doesn't apply to us in the sense that you can't call somebody a pastor, you can't call uh, somebody a rabbi if they are a Jewish rabbi. Um, but, but what Jesus is trying to communicate um, in the Gospels is that there's only one to whom we submit to. There's only one that, that we, we consider a spiritual father. And uh, when we understand that, we understand him, it's not a reference to titles today at all, Michael. It's just a reference to um, priority, who, who do we let influence our life, and first and foremost it is always um, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, and our authority for all these things is not a rabbi, not somebody we call a spiritual father, our authority for all things for life and practice is the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, so he's the one that we, we look to. Um, Jesus said, because we have been adopted as sons and daughters, we have the spirit within us that allows us to call him Abba, Father. He's the one that calls the shots. That's all he's talking about. 
So thank you, Michael, and congratulations. And I uh, hope you call back again sometime, and we'll do help you with with questions. Let's go to David holding on San Antonio, or from San Antonio holding on line two. David, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, I wanted to uh, add something to what you said about that uh, last caller, besides because uh, I am a, uh, a grandson of a Jehovah's Witness, and yes, you are right. They are a cult. Jehovah's Witnesses always distort the truth, which is the Bible, and they uh, twist it to whatever message can fit their way of thinking. I know because mm-hmm. I was, like I said, I was a former, I was a grandson of a Jehovah's Witness, and I know their and I can tell you that I can tell you this much for sure that this way of thinking is not right. And I and now back to my to, now back to my point. I believe that the Constitution was inspired by God because it is. The Bible itself that gave birth to our Constitution. Mm-hmm. Thank you, David. I, I appreciate. Believe- thank you, David. I'm going to have to go to another another uh, caller who's been waiting. But thank you very, very much. Um, let, let me say two things. Um, when when you find somebody like David who comes from a family of Jehovah's Witnesses, they understand the pain. And when Jehovah's Witnesses get saved, and this is for you too, Michael, when Jehovah's Witnesses get saved, it's a wonderful transformation because they feel free and they feel joy. And David is a good example of that. The the one thing that I can't let stand without correction, David, is the Constitution was not inspired by God. It was written by men. It wasn't God pushing the pens of men like it was when when, uh, God was using men to write the, the Bible, the only inerrant, infallible uh, work in the history of our world. So, um, uh, did it have a basis in um, um, the Christian faith? For sure, some. Um, but but we we have to be very very careful when we um, say things like God inspired the Constitution of the United States. If He did. Uh, then it wouldn't be difficult to understand it. We wouldn't have all of the debating going on over it. Uh, it would have been clear from the very, very beginning. Um, um, this is not God's country. We are not, as Americans, God's people. Uh, the people of God are the people who believe in Jesus Christ by faith. And they're all over the globe. They come in all races, nationalities, and colors. So we have to be careful about the things that we say. Thank you, David. I appreciate it very, very much. It's good to hear from you again, by the way. I haven't heard from you for a long time. Uh, We had a third caller, Lupe, who couldn't hold, um, but her question is, uh, how should she respond to a person that says the Catholic religion is the only religion? Uh, You know, the word Catholic means universal. Uh, And and whenever you read in the the creeds um, about the, the Catholic faith, and what they're talking about is the universal faith. It's a small C Catholic. Um, but it is true, Lupe, that that Roman Catholics um, are taught that it's the only true religion now because it's very unfashionable to say so now. Uh, they, they're less uh, likely to say that in public. Um, but it's true they believe that they are the only true church. Um, they are not a cult. They're a religion. Uh, and there's so much about the Catholic Church that is false in terms of doctrine uh, and position. They've got the right Father, they've got the right Son, they've got the right Holy Spirit, so they're very, very close. Um, But here's what you tell her. You ask her, just open to John chapter 3, the conversation with Nicodemus. Ask the person that you're talking to, him or her, are you born again? Well, I don't have to be born again, I'm a Catholic. Well, then you say, here's what Jesus said to a religious man, the most religious man in Israel, by the way. You shouldn't be surprised when I say you must be born again or you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then you just simply tell them that I know this is what you believe. I know it's what you've been taught. But until you open a Bible 
and actually study what the Bible says and see the differences between what your church is teaching you and what Jesus says is true, what Paul and Peter and James and John say is true. Then you'll never come out from under the dark. You have to find out what's true. And so you tell them that they're wrong. Um, you, you watch your representation of Christ. You be a good ambassador for Jesus. And then what happens is um, the Holy Spirit begins to work. But it's got to be a move of the Holy Spirit. Um, believe me, the Catholic Church, the Catholic religion, and that's what it is, um, doesn't save. It's a relationship that saves. Now, I also want to say this, Lupe. There are people in the Catholic Church who are saved. The problem is too many, in fact, the overwhelming majority think they're saved because they're Catholics. There's a remnant Christ has everywhere, and there are Christians, born-again believers in the church, in the Catholic Church. There just aren't very many. It's hard because the church teaches you work salvation. The church teaches you that you have to be a part of that church. They don't teach you have to be born again. And as offensive as this sounds to many, it is silly to think that we can live any way we want, dip our fingers in holy water and cross ourselves, take communion or take the Eucharist, and suddenly we're okay and go out and live our lives any way we want. Then all we have to do is come back and confess to a priest. And suddenly we're absolved of sin. You see, instinctively, we all know that's not true. But that's what religion does. Religion blinds us. So offer your friend a relationship with a God who loves her so much or loves him so much that he died for their sins. He took their place on the cross. And that'll give you an opportunity to remind him that he's not on that cross anymore because they put him in a rock and he rose from the dead. He doesn't have to be seen on that cross anymore. So, Loopy, sorry you couldn't hold longer. Thank you for um, your call. 340-9585 from our mobile app, Anonymous. What is a sinner's prayer and why did you say if there is one? Good ears. Um, because the Bible doesn't have a sinner's prayer. There's no one um, a prayer for salvation. Now, typically what you see in churches in the West, uh, Anonymous, is you'll see um, um, a pastor, somebody say, well, just if you're ready to receive Jesus Christ um, right now in your heart, just repeat this prayer after me. Uh, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And they'll repeat, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for me. And we'll repeat that. Jesus, come into my heart. And that's the repetition. So that's what's come to be known as a sinner's prayer in different variations. So that's what we recognize as sinners prayer. There's nothing unbiblical about it, but there's certainly nothing biblical about it. And that's why I said if there is one, because in the scripture, there's no specific formula. And we, in this culture, we like to formulize things. So that's why I said, excuse me, that's why I said if there is one. Um, the only the only prayer we need is Jesus, I believe. Um, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. Um, I'm going to be going to Romans chapter 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you are saved. That's all you have to do. And it can be a, a, a quick prayer between you and the Lord alone. Jesus, I believe, save me. Peter's prayer, help. God knows your heart, so there's not a formula prayer. So anonymous, that's exactly what I was referring to. So, um, again, we, we fall into kind of ruts in our church culture, and that's one of them. Here's a question from Kevin. He wants to know, does Jesus speak to us apart from the Bible? It's a tricky question, Kevin, because the answer is yes. However, uh, if you don't know your Bible, um, then you'll not be able to recognize his voice. It's that simple. Uh, the primary way that God speaks to his people now is through his word. Over and over and over, we're told that it is his word. I say the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Um, if you want to hear from God, 
you dig in, you invest in rightly dividing the Word of God. And God will speak to you. The Word is living and it's active. But He also speaks to us. Remember, this is a relationship. And He also speaks to us by speaking to our heart. Now, our hearts are unreliable. Our emotions are unreliable. This is why He said it gets tricky. In my 26 plus years walking with Jesus, there has been a whole bunch of times when I thought I heard something from God. I was convinced I heard something from God. And it turned out it wasn't from Him at all. You see, the enemy is always playing games with us, always messing with us. That's why John in 1 John chapter 4 says, test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. Now, sometimes as Christians, we get a little offended. We think we hear something and somebody like me suggests, well, that wasn't God. That was the enemy. No, it was God who's speaking to me. I know God's voice. We, we don't have to be prideful about it. I've confessed to you that there's a lot of times the enemy is screaming. God's voice is quiet, it's small. God isn't very wordy. He gets right to the point. The enemy is loud, and he has so much to say, and he tries to confuse us. So we have to test the Spirit. The way we test the Spirit, Kevin, is to know the Bible. Jesus will never speak to your heart in any manner that contradicts his word. Let me just give you one example, and this is one I hear all the time. In fact, uh, my heart recently has been broken by somebody who told me this. God told me he wants me to be happy and divorcing my wife is okay. And I couldn't convince this man that that wasn't God. But you see, because it contradicts what God has told us, we know it can't be. And we have the power to convince ourselves of what we want to be convinced of do what we want and blame God for it. And that's why we need to know the Bible. So yes, he speaks to your heart. Um, I don't think this is an everyday occurrence. I don't think it happens with great frequency at all. I think the way God speaks to us, as I said, is through his word and he will be real chatty when he speaks to you in his Bible. But when you're struggling with something, when you need to know an answer, you're in pain, you need to know what to do. Take a walk with Jesus and ask him, and as long as what he says to you is consistent with the revealed word of God, his Bible, then you can trust him. Kevin, let me give you one example. I think this is an important one. Um... March 4th, 1994. I'll never forget the day. I was at Bible College. I was walking on a beautiful morning in the mountains. And it was as though Jesus was right there. As though Jesus was right there. And he spoke so clearly to my heart. It was so profound. I wrote it in my Bible as soon as I got back to my dorm room. And he spoke to my heart. He said, begin praying for the people in San Antonio, Texas. I thought it was odd, but he's God. I'm not. So I began that day to pray for the people of San Antonio, Texas. Now, I can't go to the Bible and find the book of San Antonio. So I trusted that I knew I was called to be a pastor. I knew that was a good thing. So I assumed that God had a reason, and I just responded in faith. It was the most important thing, other than Jesus saying how much I needed him, it was the most important thing I've ever heard, because it was less than two full months later that Paul and I were on our way to San Antonio, Texas to start Calvary Chapel of San Antonio from scratch. We'd never been to Texas. We didn't know anybody in Texas. And Kevin, a lot of people tried to talk us out of going. Paul is black. I'm white. Do you know Texas is in the South? But those were tests sent by God. All we knew is we had to get to San Antonio, Texas. So yeah, he speaks to you profoundly 
at times. When it's him, you'll know it for sure. You'll know it for sure. So, Kevin, Kevin, I hope that helps answer your question. 340-95. Oh, we're inside three minutes. Um, let me see if I got a three-minute question. Here's one I can have. It's anonymous also. Um, I don't see why sex before marriage is wrong if you're in love and plan to be married. What do you say? Uh, here's what I say, anonymous. I say you don't make the rules. You don't get to decide what's right and what's wrong. God has already decided what's right and what's wrong. And whenever somebody asks, asks me a question like this, my concern is that they really don't know Jesus. Well, God wants me to be happy, the other explanation I gave a minute ago. And sex makes me happy, so I'm going to have sex. Your job as a Christian is to agree with God. And God says that sexual immorality and people who live like that won't inherit the kingdom of God. I know we live in a very permissive culture. I know that somebody my age sounds like a dinosaur when we say something like sex outside of marriage is sin. It's wrong. But you see, God is the one who makes the rules. People say, well, that's old-fashioned. Well, God's old. It's okay. So if you're really in love with this man or this woman, if you really plan to be married, the most important thing you can do is to rightly represent Jesus to him or to her. And the only way you can do that is is to honor God in the relationship. So if you're a professing Christian, you don't get to vote. God doesn't care about your opinion. All he cares about is your obedience. Here's something I can tell you happens almost all the time when people who are professing Christians, they say they're going to get married, so they start having sex. Plans change. Relationships change. And the relationship is so defiled that you miss out on what God has for you. So I hope that answers your question. Well, I was reading the phone number, but we don't need that. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Remember, men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.